Good morning, church. Please, let's stand up for the reading of the Word of God. We will be reading from the book of Amos, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye unto Calne and see, and from thence go ye to Hamad the Great. Then go down to God of the Philistines. Be they better than those kingdoms, or the border greater than you border? Ye that put far away the evil day, and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the vile, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowels and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The Lord God had sworn by himself, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, will I deliver up the city with all that is the rain. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Please, and turn to, actually turn to 2 Corinthians. Just want to read a couple verses there. Then we're going to go to Luke 15. But I do want to just read these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but you can also turn to Luke 15, because then we'll go right there. As we look today at continue our series on the parables of Jesus, these earthly stories that tell eternal truth. And today we see the eternal truth of having a passion for the lost. In this parable, we will look at the parable of the lost coin. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks, tells us about those who are lost. So as we consider the parable of the lost coin... I thought it would be good for us just to start and just read these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, God's word. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost. That's our key word here in these parables. In whom the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And verse 5, read it with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, if we could read it aloud together. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant, for Jesus' sake. Now go over to Luke chapter 15, please. And dear friends, I assure you my heart's desire is to be only a servant of Jesus Christ. Not here to preach, as Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. We're preaching Jesus Christ this morning to the best of our fail and feeble feeble abilities, but these are the skills God has given to us. We use them for Him. So here we see this parable of the lost coin, and this parable teaches us how to have a passion for the lost. Let's read it together. Luke 15, verse 8. Either what woman, 
having ten pieces of silver. If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And again, please read verse 10 with me aloud. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And let's pray. So now, Lord... We've sung your praise, your salvation. You're a great king, our Lord, worthy of praise. You're our El Shaddai, our strong one who saves. And now we ask you, Lord, lift up your countenance, your face upon us, that we might experience the very presence of you, O great God, and that you would speak to every heart. So that gladness will be be put into this place. Bring the gladness that we see so described in this passage. The joy of even a sinner, one without you who is lost, coming to you and being found. And Lord, bring joy, your joy and peace to every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The parable of the lost coin is in the middle of this great parable that Jesus Christ is teaching. You could say it's one parable because the key word of lost goes through each of these three different stories. But on the other hand, these three parables, and I'm talking about the one we looked at last week, the parable of the lost sheep. And this one, the parable of the lost coin, only three verses, followed by one of the most famous of all Jesus' parables, often called the parable of the prodigal son. But I believe it's best to call this the parable of two sons, as what Jesus said in verse 11, because it's really not just about one son, and we'll talk about that. But nevertheless, each of these stories could stand alone. But Jesus puts them together, and together they form a powerful unit. And someone has said probably no chapter in the Bible has done greater good to the souls of men. These are powerful stories that Jesus gives to us. Because this threefold parable really reveals a comprehensive view of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his love that he has for those who are lost. If you are lost here today, I guarantee you, the Father loves you. Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you and will draw you to him. And we have to know that as well, dear friends, living in this great city. That the Lord loves us and he loves for us to go out and seek the lost. But the first parable we looked at last week, the parable of the lost sheep, pictures Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. The Bible says the good shepherd gave himself for the sheep. He shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice that Brother Vinny just sang about. He's the perfect sacrifice who died once and for all for the sins of the world and rose again. Then, of course, the parable of the two sons is the parable of the father's love for the lost. And there, those two sons, the 
rebellious son and the religious son. We see them loved by the Father. But in this middle parable that we consider today is this parable of a woman sweeping diligently, looking for a lost coin. And I believe that this pictures for us the love of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God who is working in and through the church of Jesus Christ. So this is a powerful statement of the Trinity and the love that he has for the lost. Now the word lost is the key word in this parable. It's used in the parable of the coin that we're looking at in verse 8. It says, which of you is either a woman having ten pieces of silver if she lose one piece? And then at the end of verse 9, she says, for I have found that which was lost. And in this whole unit, really, when Jesus begins teaching in the first verse, he uses this word lost. If you look at verse 4, he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he lose one of them? And so there's a lost sheep. There's the lost coin. And finally, there's the lost son. And the, the unit ends. Look at the last verse of the chapter Look and read it with me. What's the last verse of Luke 15 say in verse 32? He says, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. Can you read it out loud? The rest of the verse, it says, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So lost is the key word. Of this chapter. And if you're without Jesus, that's how God sees you. As lost. But there's good news. He loves you and you can be found. Now, the word lost does not mean a loss of being. In other words, to be lost is not to go into eternal extinction. A lack of existence. But the word lost speaks not a loss of being, but a loss of well-being. The word lost is actually used later on by the, the son, the prodigal son who we call. And he uses the word in verse 17. It's not translated lost, but it's the same word and it's translated in verse 17. I perish with hunger. Perish. That's the idea of lost. Perish. A loss of well-being. He was perishing. He was, he was conscious. He was alive. But he was lost. And he was dying. And he knew it. And he knew he needed to return to the Father. So the word lost is actually often translated perish. Do you know the same word lost? The key word of Luke 15 is used in perhaps the, one of the most beloved I'm going to just say it, the most well-known verse in the Bible, which is what? What's the most well-known verse in the Bible? John 3, 16. And that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. That's that word. Should not be lost, but have everlasting life. So you have to believe in Christ, even by Jesus' own words in order to keep from perishing. Now, that doesn't mean that you would die and then cease to exist. It means you would die and lose your well-being for all eternity in hell. And the Bible teaches hell. When we think about this word lost, we cannot deny the reality. We cannot overlook the truth of, and, and, and stark 
reality that there's a heaven to gain and there is a hell to lose. And those without Jesus Christ are on their way to a perishing, separated from God in hell. And if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, lest they should see the light, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lost. So this woman, seeking for the lost coin, as I already mentioned, but I'll say it here again. I believe that this is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit-filled church. Because the church is likened unto a woman. The church is likened unto the bride of Jesus Christ. And we'll see in a moment that what she lost is related to a wedding gift, a dowry of her wedding. So it's a beautiful picture of the church, but the Spirit-filled church. So here the Holy Spirit is working through the church, working through you to seek the lost. And it's a beautiful picture, this parable, so brief in just three verses. But what a jewel that sparkles with glory as the church, filled with the Spirit, is seeking the lost with the Word of God, preaching the Gospel, and will not quit until the lost are found. And I say to you, let us not lose our passion for the lost. Let us not lose our passion for the preaching of the Gospel. The Gospel being the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only hope for someone's salvation is Jesus Christ. But let's face it, there's little passion sometimes in our hearts for the lost. And there's little passion in many churches today for the lost. Do you know what the church, many churches do in order to be successful and grow and bring people in? They look at what the world is doing and imitates the world and the practices of the world. And they bring in the entertainment of the world in order to bring people into their church. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to imitate the world. We're here to glorify God. We're here to preach the gospel. And the sad thing is the world is impacting the church today more than the church is impacting the world. And that's a sad thing. Let us not give up the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are not here for entertainment. We're not here to sing songs to entertain you as a crowd. We're here to worship God. The people here on the stage, by the way, are only here to encourage you to sing. To maybe sing a song you're not familiar with and hopefully help you to learn it. But, but to encourage all of us to worship God. Many churches give people just what they want. They tickle their ears with sermonettes on how to find a good job. And I want you to find a good job. Or they tickle their ears with skits on how to buy the right car. And this is church services today with sermonettes and skits and and little shallow songs that you could sing to your sweetheart. You know, there's no difference between a lot of songs that are sung in churches today and what you could sing to your boyfriend or girlfriend. They call them crossover type songs. But we're not here for that. We're here to worship. We're here to have a passion for the lost. We're here to be convicted of our sin. We're here to, to, to let go of all of our sins so that we can have all of God's Spirit, so we can have a passion for the lost. So may God burn a passion for the lost in our hearts this morning. And I want us to see three things we must embrace. Three things we must embrace if we're to have a passion for the lost. First of all, we must see the lost in danger. Now, there's three pictures of the lost in this parable. There's the sheep, 
They're the sons, but there's the coin. And you have to kind of look at them together, but this parable is the coin. But think about the coin, though, this morning. The coin is such an amazing symbol or picture of a lost soul. Now, I believe it is best to see that this ten silver coin piece is related to the Jewish marriage custom. It was worn when a woman received a dowry gift. She received a ten coin ornament to put on her forehead as a necklace, as a headband. And so this ten coined ornament was a celebration of her marriage. And so for her to wear it, she had to have all ten coins. If she lost one coin, it would be of no value anymore. So this ten coins, as pictured here, is related to her marriage. So the value of this coin wasn't just the monetary value of it. It was the emotional value. It was the love value. It was, it was the sentimental value that she had lost here. And so that's the love of Jesus for us. It's not just because in ourselves we're worth anything, but because of who we are. We are, and, and the coin is a picture of a lost soul. And, and I believe we could see the value of it because the first thing when we think about a coin is a coin bears a what? A, a coin bears an image. It, has, it, it is stamped and it has an image and it retains the image uh, of the mint from which it, was, it proceeded from. And in that sense... We are all stamped with the image of who? The image of God. God created us. And he created man in his image. And we have intellectual. We are made in the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual, the volitional image of God. We have a will. We have a mind. We have an intellect like no other created being in in this created earth. We're made in the image of God. But we're fallen into sin, and whereas sin does tarnish the image, and sin taints the image, and sin stains the image of God that is upon us, the sin, what we commit, can never completely erase the image of God in you. And all of us made in the image of God, in order to be complete in this life, what we're all ultimately looking for is to be restored to the image of the one who created us. Because we know we've fallen short of that image. And it's through Jesus Christ that we can be restored to this image. Because as we learned in our verse today, Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life without any sin. And as he says, we trust and believe in him. He, he gives us his righteousness so we can be restored to that image from whence we've all fallen. We're like a coin stamped with an image. But in danger. Because this coin is lost, but... It doesn't know it, of course. A coin is an inanimate thing. Now, not that we're inanimate. As I said, you take all three of these pictures, the sheep and the sons. But this aspect of lostness speaks of the lost being ignorant of their condition. Many people are lost. And if you're here without Jesus today, you might say, I don't think I'm lost. But if you're without Jesus, you are. That's what the Bible says. And you can't deny what the, what the Word of God says, beloved. Don't deny it. So here, this coin is lost. It's lost in the cold dirt. Maybe it fell into a, a crack. Maybe it's behind a dresser somewhere. We, it, it doesn't say in the text, but it's senseless. It doesn't know it's lost. But it's lost. 
and ignorant to its condition. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says that our understanding is darkened. That through the ignorance in us, our hearts have become blind and literally calloused and hardened. And being past feeling, Paul describes the unsaved man as being hardened and past feeling. Unaware of its condition and giving over to lasciviousness and selfish works and greedy, greedy behaviors. So sin is very powerful. It blinds the mind. It hardens the heart. It makes a person ignorant of their condition. And it dulls their senses. And we are in some kind of way like a spiritually dumb, inanimate thing. So the coin is lost and ignorant. But it's, and it's lost, but not impossibly lost. Where's the coin lost? In the house. And she cares very much about it. So the coin is lost, but not impossibly so. The coin is lost, but is it forgotten? No. The coin is not forgotten. The woman knows it's lost, and she's going to search for it. And dear friend... You are created in the image of God, and if you are lost, you're God's by creation. And He will seek for you. And He will work things in your life to get your attention. Maybe He will put you through a trial of affliction, or maybe somebody will come and give you a gospel track, or somebody will try to witness to you, but He will do things to get your attention, to bring you to Him. He has not forgotten you. And you are not impossibly lost because Jesus died to save. And still we see they are lost. And they cannot be found by themselves. The coin needed someone to search for it. And that's the world we're living in, beloved. We're in this world, and that's why Jesus said when he, before He departed and went into heaven, what did He tell the church to do? Go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. This is our responsibility. Why? Because souls without Christ are lost. Now, he could have angels write the message in the sky. God could have other means if he so desired to share the, his truth with the world. But th- that's not what he's done. His plan is to have churches sprinkled throughout the world just like this. And put them in communities just like this. To reach the lost that are right out there. And it might seem like there's no hope. But there's hope, as I just said. Never lose hope in the salvation of the lost. I read, an, there's an amazing story back in 1990. It was a British Airways flight took off 27 minutes into its flight. The pressure of the cabin, it, it depressurized and two cockpit windows blew out mid-flight. And when the cockpit windows blew out, and this is not a true picture, this was a reenactment that National Geographic did, I think in 2004 or five. You could look it up online. But this is not an actual real picture of the pilot. But he got sucked out of his harness and he got sucked out of the plane and his foot was holding on and his shirt flew off And now he is literally flapping in the wind, hitting himself against the airplane. And 
One of the men in the cockpit grabbed him before he went completely out to save his life. And he was holding on to him for dear life. Through those quick reactions, the pilot was saved, but they had to land the plane because when the cabin depressurized and the windows flew out, Also, the door to the cockpit blew open and blew off and onto the instrument panels. And this was the captain of the flight. The captain's name being Tim Lancaster. He was the pilot of the ship. And so Neil Ogden, who was one of the uh, one of those in the in the cockpit with him, grabbed him and was holding on. And he was slipping, but he held on. He held on. He didn't want to lose him. Meanwhile, with the door on all of the, the panels, the, the, uh, the, the co-pilot had to, and the, the, pain, the, the plane dipped and people in the cabin were all, you know, panicking. I mean, it was an incredible thing that was happening here. But the co-pilot leveled the plane and then they held on to him and they were able to bring the, the plane down the, and as they struggled to get the plane to safety. And the, the pilot lived. And he, he suffered a frostbite and some broken bones. And here, here's, the real, here's the real pilot. This is the real pilot. This is the real crew of people who, who saved him from this situation. And do you know what he was doing five months later? He was flying again. He went, he went back up in the air. He, he, he went back up as a pilot. So he, I commend the courage of that pilot, Tim Lancaster and that entire crew for saving him. But the point is this. Life is valuable. His one life, that one pilot that he was holding on to. And how many times people go to extreme measures to save one one soul. But the salvation of your eternal soul is of more value than the physical life. We value the physical life, and rightly so. But live long enough, Captain Tim Lancaster is going to die again. And he'll face eternity. We're all going to die and face eternity. And your eternal soul is of more value than even your physical being. And we don't despair of your salvation You know the story of John Newton. You talk about a hardened sinner. How hardened must somebody be to have been involved in the slave trade? And literally trading human life like it was just a piece of garbage or something. And mystery, you know. And John Newton was involved in that slave trade. But God miraculously saved him. And then brought him out of that slave trade. And then he worked to end it with William Wilberforce in England. And just think of this. This hardened sinner. So ignorant of his condition. He was selling men as slaves. By the grace of God was saved. And put his faith in Jesus. And he was changed to now love those that he used to at one time sell. And he wrote one of the most beloved songs in the Christian church. And you know what it is. Amazing grace. 
That's an amazing thing when you think about it. That God took that kind of a hardened sinner to write a song that, I mean, and you, you'll hear that song sung in any church, any denomination, they sing that song. Isn't that amazing? It's a powerful song, too. And you know what Newton said? Newton said this after he was saved. He said, I have never despaired of anyone's conversion since God saved me. So what was he saying? He was saying, if God could save me, he could save. <laughs> it's, God, it's easy. If God saved me, it's easy for him to save anybody else in comparison to me. And do you feel that way too about yourself? I know I feel that way about myself. Souls lost are in danger. They're in darkness. They're in the filth of sin. They're in the dirt. You know, this coin was in darkness. You will see she has to get a light out. She was in, this coin was in the dirt, picturing sin. But there was hope. And there's hope for you. The second thing I want us to see is we need to seek the lost with desperation. We must realize they're in danger. Danger being the key word. Two, we must see them and seek them with a desperation. Desperation being the key word. So this woman representing the Holy Spirit at work through the church is desperately seeking for her lost coin. She's aggressive. She's personal about it because this was a part of her wedding gift. And so she could not stop thinking about this coin. She was thinking about it when she went to bed at night. She was thinking about it when she woke up in the morning. She dreamed about it. She thought about it during the day. She had to have it. She, she had to have this coin. And so her desperation then turned into her seeking diligently, as it says in our text. She sought diligently for this coin. And so that pictures for me a desperation. We need to seek them with desperation. When I think of desperation, I think of this word anguish. I believe her desperation when she couldn't find it turned into like an agony of her own soul. This related to her wedding gift and she had to have this coin. There was an anguish in her spirit. An agony in her spirit. Let me ask you. Is there any agony Is there any anguish in your heart for those without Christ? If there is none, you'll never do anything about it. We we ought, realizing the penalty that is before the lost of hell, we ought to have a desperate desire that they are saved. When I say anguish, I mean you're deeply stirred. We have an inner pain. And that inner pain has penetrated into our soul so that we feel that deep, sharp pain of our loved ones, of even our own sons and daughters, our mother and our father, our relatives and our friends and our co-workers. And I'm not talking about just a flash of emotion that comes and goes, but something that is an anguish in your soul and it's a pain that doesn't go away. And throughout the Bible, when God begins to work in someone's life and brings about change, He puts a desperation in people's hearts. And that desperation turns into an agony of desire, an anguish of soul. 
I think of Nehemiah. You know the story of Nehemiah. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a prophet. He was a cupbearer of the king. And he was far away from Jerusalem, but he heard the walls were burnt down and broken. And, and Nehemiah was in agony of soul. And he prayed. And he, and he fasted. And he wept. Until he couldn't take it anymore. And he was praying, God, conf- we for- forgive us of my sins. God, forgive us of our sins. And he was praying and he was begging God. And then one day God opened a door for him and he stood before the king. And the king said, what's on your mind, Nehemiah? You don't look so happy. And Nehemiah was able to share the burden on his heart. And God opened the door for Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that he was all in anguish about. So when you're in anguish, God opens the heart. If God puts an anguish in your heart for the broken lives that are around you, I believe that He'll he'll work to to bring those lives to salvation. The walls of Jerusalem were built out of the broken spirit and contrite heart of Nehemiah. So you know what prevents an anguish of spirit in our lives? What prevents an agony of soul, a sense of desperation? It's selfishness and sin. It's pride. It's us focusing on how we can do what we want. Secret sin overtaking your life so that what really matters doesn't matter. Sin can become so big in our lives, beloved, and, and, and the devil wants to bring temptation upon you so that that sin will become even more real to you than the, than the reality of souls that are lost. Spurgeon said, those who bring souls to Christ are those who first of all have felt an agony of desire for their souls to be saved. And I believe that when God puts an anguish in the heart of his children, God will break the hard hearts of the unsaved. First, the action was hers. She was in agony. She had this agony and anguish of desire where she had to find the lost coin. So that's what we're praying this year. God will give us a heart to go out onto the streets. We're going to do that before Resurrection Day. And I hope you would, the the dates are in your bulletin. By the way, we put a number of dates in your bulletin for some of the big events this year, our revival meeting, our missions conference, our camp. Put this in your calendar so you don't travel during those times if you could try to go on, do your vacations at other times. But the Sunday before Palm Sunday, we want to go out into the streets of our city and we're praying for God to bring people in right from this community. We must seek diligently and seek them with desperation. So there's the anguish of spirit. But the second thing I see in her desperation is her her anguish leads to action. So when you have anguish and desperation, that will then lead to, to specific action. So what's her action? She gets out a light. She lights a candle, Jesus says. And the light, because in eastern homes, it was, eastern homes were filled with darkness. They built many times, they built these homes without windows. So they were dark. So she had to get out a candle. And so she had to light the house to overcome the darkness. And this world is in darkness. 
And the only light that will bring the lost to Christ is the, the, the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. She was in the danger of darkness. She was in the danger of that dirt and sin of the world. And so the light speaks of the word of God. As Paul says that we're to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without, the, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. So if we're going to be a light in this world, we have to hold forth the word of life, the word of God. And then she gets out her broom. And she starts to sweep. And when you get out of broom and she's sweeping everything up, she's raising and stirring up all the dirt and dust. And that's not comfortable for the eyes. But sometimes when you preach the Word of God and you go out with the Word of God and you start preaching and exposing the sins of the world, it can get uncomfortable sometimes. And preaching against sin, however, while it might make us uncomfortable, it is not unloving. Because we're trying to find that which was lost. And I don't know what your sin is that is keeping you from Christ. It could be religion. You know, there's a lot of religious people in the Bible who are lost. It could be fornication. You say, I don't want to give up my fornication or adultery or homosexuality. It could be pornography. Pornography has so many people that are under the power and control of the internet. It could be drunkenness or drugs. But it could be a sin of the spirit. It could just be bitterness. It could be anger. It could be jealousy. And you're just holding on to these things. And you say, I cannot be saved. And I don't want to be saved because I don't want to change. The broom of God's word needs to come and convict you of those sins. And get rid of all those sins. And sweep away all those sins. And show you the light of the love of Jesus. You know, there's people in our city today like Belshazzar. In the days of Daniel. Remember Belshazzar, the king? He had wealth. He had the best food to eat. But you know what? He saw this handwriting on the wall. God literally wrote with his finger and put some handwriting on the wall of his life. And the Bible says his knees were knocking together. He was so afraid. And he he was trembling with fear. And he was troubled in his spirit. And he nobody could read that writing on the wall for him. Nobody could understand what was going on. Nobody could understand the times that they were in. And Belshazzar called all of his wise men. But it was futile. Nobody could help Belshazzar as he was trembling with that handwriting on the wall. You know what I believe? There are people out here in our city and God is writing on the wall of their life. We don't know who they are or where they are, but they're out there. God is at work. God is at work. As we go out, before we go, God is already at work. And he's writing on the wall of somebody's life. And he's troubling them and making them afraid of their future. And, and, they, and there's n- none of their friends and acquaintances can help them understand what that writing means and, and how to overcome the fear of life. And they're lost and they're trembling and they're filled with questions. And that's why they need you, beloved, to know the Word of God and to go out with the light of the Word of God, which is the truth that can help you to understand and reading the, read the writing on the wall of people's lives. Point them to Jesus. 
May God energize us to get the light out and sweep. But I fear, as the scripture was read today, that many times we're like the Israelites in the days of Amos. And I'm talking to all of us. I'm saying it's very easy to get lazy. (laughs) It's very easy to become careless. Go back to Amos, that passage that was read in Amos chapter 6, just for a moment. And let God convict us to what's truly, eternally of value and importance. Because the prophet says, Hosea, Joel, Amos, in chapter 6, it's, 1, 000, it's page 1,120. <laughs> if you have my Bible, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seeing if you're awake out there, thank you. <laughs> Woe to them that are at ease. There's a lot of Christians, this is how we want to live our Christianity. We want to live, lay out on our beds of ivory and we want to buy, we, we, we got to buy that weekend house and we want to go on our vacations and eat delicious food. And I'm not saying there's wrong, anything wrong with vacations or, or even a summer house. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. But that can't be the priority of our lives. Delicious food and music on our playlist and, and, and just the material things and woe to them that are e- at ease. And that love to stretch themselves out in their luxury in verse 4. They stretch themselves out on their couches and, and they eat the lambs and they're just, they're just looking to have another party and another feast and just another social gathering. And they, yeah, they have a little bit of religion in, in their lives. You know, Christianity in America is a dead thing. We are dying. We've got to wake up. Because the church has been taken over. A number of years ago, a man named Rick Warren came along and developed this whole idea of a seeker-sensitive church. And, and basically, his idea was go, go around and poll people and see what kind of church they want to have. What kind of music they want to sing. And what kind, rather than go to the Bible. But today, it's gone even so much beyond that as well. You can go into some churches and it's like a rock and roll concert. It's worse than when I was a kid and went to the Schaefer Music Festival at Central Park. That's what churches are. They're dark. And the, and the young people will come. Oh, they'll come. Yes, but there's, there's the shallowness and people are at ease in their, in their sin. And preachers preach feel-good messages on how to have health and wealth. And there's no preaching about sin and judgment and the, and the, the need of the lost to be saved. And look what it says in verse 6 of Amos. And I ask you to turn there because I want to read this. Verse 6. It says that, that drink wine in their bowls. They anoint themselves with the chief ointments. So they were wealthy. We're a wealthy people. It's easy to get lazy in luxury. And we have the luxury of the world more than perhaps any other nation. That's why many people do want to come here. There's other nations that are very wealthy, no doubt, but we are. We're a rich people. And he says, with all that luxury, what is the easy thing to happen? It says at the end of verse 6, but they are not what? They are not grieved. They are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. 
I'm here to say, and we're going to see this as I finish this message in a moment. Uh, There is a finish to this message. Don't lose heart. (laughs) But joy comes out of this kind of grief. So we need to be like Paul. Can you read that verse with me? It says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh. The word labor means literally to work to the point of exhaustion. That's what Paul did. And the word striving, we get our word agonize from that Greek word. I love this Greek word. Agonizomai. That's just fun to say, I think. Agonizomai. Agonizing. He agonized. That's what we're talking about. Having that anguish of spirit that leads to the action of sharing the gospel. And then working, and which worketh. His, it's according to his working. The work, you see, this is the church. His working. This is the woman with the light and the broom. The woman is the spirit-filled church being energized by the Holy Spirit. This is how we're going to win the lost in our world. As we're energized by his working. And that, and that word literally is energy. We get our word energy from his working, which worketh in me mightily. The energizing of his spirit. Didn't Jesus have that anguish when he went to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. And out of that deep agony of soul that led him to the cross and all the suffering that he endured, he's in heaven rejoicing that he finished the salvation plan. The last thing is this. A passion for the lost. Realize they're in danger. Seek them with a desperation. And then when found, there will be delight. So do you want real joy? I believe that a passion for the lost, it's not the only way to have the joy of the Lord. I believe there are multiple ways to have the joy of the Lord. And when we talk about the joy of the Lord, you know what the the joy of the Lord is that when we rejoice and find joy in what God finds joy. That's the joy of the Lord. And that joy is energizing. Joy is really the opposite of depression. There's a lot of people depressed today. Taking medications. And I just want to say, I praise God that I've never had to take any kind of medications in my life. Never taken any drugs except the pot and acid that I did when I was a lost sinner. You know, ignorant and blind. A lost coin. Thank God that he delivered me from that. But praise God, and I'm not saying if you have to take Medicaid, I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to put any guilt trip on you, but I'm just saying that's my testimony and I praise God for that. But he needs to give us this passion for the lost and a joy in the Lord. And when we find the lost sinners, there will be great delight, there will be great joy. Look what the, look what the Holy Spirit-filled church, if you will, says. Go back to Luke 15. Luke 15. He says, the woman says when she found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together and she said, rejoice with me. You know what? That's exactly what the good shepherd said when he found the sheep. The exact same statement. In other words, when Jesus finds the lost, Jesus rejoices. 
When the Holy Spirit finds the lost, the Holy Spirit rejoices. And that's the oneness of God. Distinct persons, but yet one in spirit. One in essence, if you will. One, one in nature. Rejoice with me. And so here is the joy of the Lord that will be your strength. That will give you energy and overcome the depression of this world. This joy we see comes out of anguish. It comes out of anguish and action that is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Let me say that again. You want to have the joy of the Lord? Have an anguish that is fueled by the Holy Spirit of God. And then get involved in action that is being energized by the Holy Spirit of God. And then when you come home at night, you will have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, which is the opposite of depression. As I said before, that we don't need to rely on medication of this world to overcome our depression, but we can rely on the Holy Spirit of God, I believe. Real joy is when we find joy in what God finds joy in. This joy is from the Lord and it comes out of anguish. It comes out of action. So rejoice, he says, with me. Rejoice when you find that lost coin. When you find that lost person, rejoice. And then he says rejoice in the presence of the angels. So as I just said, that's kind of repetitive on the screen of what I said. The joy of the Lord comes out of Holy Spirit-fueled anguish. And action. And we rejoice with the Lord, and it says we rejoice in the presence of his angels. Look at this passage, it's Jesus' teaching. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Now, notice in the first part of the parable, when they found the sheep. It says in verse 7, there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. So there's joy in heaven. And here it says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Now, where are the angels? They're in heaven, but they're also where? On earth. So I believe in a way the joy is, is widespread. <laughs> it's widespread joy. Because where, where are angels? And I put it here. Angels are wherever God is. And angels are where the saints of God are. Because we have angels that camp round about us. And so the angels are in heaven, but the angels are doing God's work on earth. And there's joy in the presence of the angels in heaven and on earth when one soul comes to know Jesus Christ. This must be important when one soul comes to Jesus. If you're here without Jesus today, would that be you? That you would realize that Jesus Christ alone is the one who died on the cross and shed his blood. And here's, here it is, beloved. I'll say this. I hope you listen. If you're here without Jesus, is you need a sacrifice for your sins. Because the penalty of your sin is death. What's the penalty of our sin? Death. And if we don't have, if we don't believe in the one who died for us, we will die for our sins. We will die lost and perish in hell forever. But if we put our faith and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, we can be saved. And there will be joy 
in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And isn't it amazing, and I won't belabor this point, but isn't it amazing, the first two parables, he uses the word repent, and he's talking about a sheep that actually did nothing to find itself. It was found by the shepherd, and then he uses it for the coin. What did the coin do to find itself? Nothing. It couldn't find itself. But yet the coin and the sheep are pictured as repenting. The third parable, where actually the son repents, he comes to himself. It doesn't use that. Jesus doesn't use the word repent in the third part of the parable. That's amazing to me. The teachings of Jesus are so, so amazing. But the point is this, is that repentance is a gift of God. Repentance is the work of God. God gives a heart, the change of mind that they need to turn from their ways and to turn to the Lord. And so, the repentance of a lost soul here is simply pictured by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of His people when they go out and search for souls. And so, beloved, let us go forth. Let us have a passion for souls. Because just as God saved you, He could save anyone and never doubt it for a moment. Let's stand together as we pray. I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe you need to just step out of your seat today. If you feel convicted for a coldness of heart, a love of this world, a lack of anguish for souls. Just step out of your seat and come, child of God. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you are deeply burdened about. You say, I need to pray for them. Step out of your seat and just come. I do invite you to come today. I believe God has burdened my heart for this message. I ask you to step out of your seat and come and pray for this neighborhood. Now God would give us the grace and power of the Holy Spirit of God to be like this woman and to get out our light and not be ashamed of the light of the gospel and get out the broom and stir up and not be afraid, not be afraid to preach against the sins that have this culture of ours all wrapped up and in blindness and darkness. Oh, God, please work. Oh, God, use us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Souls need you. Jesus Christ, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And you came to earth to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now you've put us here to do your work as your church. Oh, Spirit of God, fill us, we pray. Bring conviction into this community. Put the handwriting on the wall of people's lives that they are in danger and they're troubled and they need hope and they need you, Lord. Please work, oh, Holy Spirit of God. We cannot do it. It's your work to do. But, Lord, we pray you use our hands and use our feet and use our minds to convey your truth to others around us. Oh, and bless each one who's come, Father. Put your spirit upon them today and fill them with your power. Fill them with your love. Fill us with the love of Jesus, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Help us to know we're we're no better than anyone. We're just sinners saved by your grace. We're sinners that if we got what we deserve, we'd be in hell right now. But Lord, we thank you that you were good to us. We thank you that you opened up our eyes. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. And we know that this road is a narrow road and, and broad is the way. And many are going in there, at Lord, and it breaks our hearts. And we're, we're burdened about this, Lord, being in this city. Dear God, time is running out. Time is getting short. We're in the last minutes, Lord. Oh, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Save our families, our parents, our sons, our daughters, our, fa- our relatives. Save our co-workers. Do a mighty work, we pray. If you're here today without Jesus, is there anyone? Say, Pastor Matt, I need Jesus Christ today. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? I'll pray for you. Father, please work now. In Jesus' name, amen.